You're listening to the Inside Study Abroad podcast, episode number 54. Welcome to the Inside Study Abroad podcast. I'm your host, Brooke Roberts. In this show, we explore the world of international education and meaningful travel with some fascinating guests, a little friendly debate, and a whole lot of practical advice. Let's get going. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. And as promised, Today, I am sharing with you an updated interview with my friend, Rich Kurtzman of Barcelona Study Abroad Experience. Now, if you're just tuning in, this season of the podcast, I am sharing some throwback interviews from from interviews I did way back in 2010, 11, 12, that were only posted on the Inside Study Abroad YouTube channel. And I thought I would resurface that content, publish it here to the podcast, and then do an updated interview like a where are they now what are they doing now update with those same people and share them to the podcast as well so this week we're talking with rich kurtzman and our last episode you can listen to basically part one what was going on with rich his origin story, how he got started in international education, how he became basically a Spain expert and launched launched his career and grew his career in life over in Spain and then built Barcelona Study Abroad Experience. In today's episode, we're going to talk more about BSAE and how they approached the, the pandemic or the panini, as I like to call it, lightened the mood a little bit, how they approached what was going on in the world, the impact on the organization how it helped them reframe and and refocus on the things and the people in the organization that really mattered and that really played a critical role in creating meaningful experiences for their students. Some creative things that they did to sort of stay afloat in a time when everybody was really struggling um, to keep their doors open or just keep study abroad alive in a lot of ways. So you'll learn all about that. Rich is also launching something really special coming soon uh, in just a few months. So he talks a little bit about that as well. And I think you'll just really fall in love with Rich and and his approach to global programs. And he's just a great guy and friend. And I'm so happy to have him in my life. Don't forget, everybody, tonight we are hosting our live webinar all about how to land a job in study abroad and global education. It's at 7 p.m. Central. There is a link in the description or just go to insidestudyabroad.com slash workshop to sign up. It is completely free. And yes, there will be a recording for those of you who pre-register. So make sure you get on the list at insidestudyabroad.com slash workshop. We're going to be talking about how to stand out in a really competitive job market in global ed. There might seem to be a lot of jobs being posted right now for sure but it's still hyper competitive for those roles and so how are you going to stand out how are you going to get at the top of the pile how are you going to land an interview and make sure that that interview leads to a job offer and we're going to be talking about all of that inside of this workshop and of course I'll be telling you about the Global Pro Institute which is my course and coaching program all about launching and leveling up your career in international education and you'll learn all about that at the workshop as well this is our last cohort that we're offering we won't be offering any other cohorts in 2022 so if you want to get involved in gpi make sure you come to our webinar and get on the list to learn more about that all right enough announcements let's go to the show with rich kurtzman Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Inside Study Abroad podcast. I'm your host, Brooke Roberts. And today I'm chatting with my friend, 
all the way in Spain, Rich Kurtzman. He is the founder and director of Barcelona Study Abroad Experience, and he is part of my series of throwback interviews. Last week, you would have heard his original interview with me from over a decade ago. We were actually sitting in Barcelona at, was it CIEE or one of the- it was Wistic. Okay. Wistic, uh-huh. which, yeah, yeah. And uh, we did that interview. So if you want to hear his origin story, go listen to that old throwback episode. And today we're going to be talking about what's going on with Rich today. What's happening with Barcelona study abroad experience. So many changes in your life. We're going to get into all of it. So thanks for coming back to the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Great to talk yeah. to you again. Why don't we talk a little bit about Barcelona study abroad experience for people who aren't familiar with it? What is it and how did it get started originally? I know you started it back in 2009. Yeah. Well, luckily since the last time we talked, I think more people are familiar with it, which is good. Um, it's been 12 years now and yeah, we, we celebrated our 10 year anniversary in 2019, which is great. It was one of our best years, I would say. Uh, so Barcelona City was founded and started because I had been working in Barcelona for a long time. I lived in Spain. I fell in love with Spain and, and I wanted to start a program that was just focused on the city of Barcelona that I love so much. Uh, you know, I'm from Chicago originally, but moved out here in 2002 and worked for other study abroad programs and I was teaching for other study abroad programs and I was doing intercultural consulting. And I just thought, let's, let's take everything that I learned from all these other great programs and put them into one just just focused on Barcelona. And so that started 2009 with a very small group and it's uh, and started with just me. And luckily on both fronts, it's grown. So luckily I've got a, a big team now and it's not just the eight students I started with anymore. Uh, and so, yeah, it's a program that is um, focused on Barcelona. It's tried to attempt to have more personalized attention for the students um, and trying to do things like I would do it. I'm, I'm a real study abroad nerd. I did it myself several times in, in Russia and in Madrid, and I interned in Milan, and, and, so I, and I love to study abroad. It's pretty much the only thing I've done aside from teaching. And so I tried to do a program and thinking, all right, if I was going to a new city, how would I, how would I want it done? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it's grown from then, and it's, and it's had different uh, permutations, I would say, along the way. Yeah. Programs added, programs deleted, yeah. and, uh, and now, especially after the pandemic, we're in a, we're in a pretty good place. Mm-hmm. I, I'm curious. I didn't prep you on this. I did not submit some of the topics. I told you we were going to go off on tangents here, but I, I want to okay. talk about, I think it's because you're, you're my Barcelona expert. I mean, you're the person I'm like, people have questions about Spain. I'm like a Dr. Rich Kurtzman. I feel like there is something about Barcelona, right? It's a top destination in a normal period. I feel like it has a stereotype of like, you go there any given summer, it's going to be hard to meet a Spaniard. You're only going to meet a bunch of American students, which may or may not be accurate stereotype, but I'm curious, how do you design a program in a location like that? So that there are opportunities for students to get outside of their programmatic bubble or their, their, the students that they're with all the time, or just even other students from other programs that might be there. Because we know like a lot of the big providers, they're sending maybe a thousand students to Barcelona. How do you, how do you navigate that in a place like Barcelona where it it is very popular? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm glad you did bring it up. Uh, Barcelona is just, first of all, it's, it's an amazing city full Mm -hmm. of locals, right? Locals that could be Spaniards, could be Catalans, could be other people from Europe. I mean, it's such an international city as well in it. And it's a city of 1.6 million people, right? So the mm-hmm. 
thousand study abroad students um, is a small dot of right. all the students, of all the people that are here and of the students that are here because it's the top destination also for Erasmus, for mm -hmm. students from other parts of Europe. So it is full of students uh, and not just American students. The American students is a small percentage of it. And I think really, I think in any location, whether there's a lot of Americans or not, it's, it's more up to the student and the program to figure out how to get them more integrated. Mm -hmm. and, and so what we do is, well, we push homestays when they can do homestays. We do intercambios, so language exchanges with local universities. We find out what the students like to do, what are their hobbies back home, what are their interests, and then see how they can do it here and how we can help them do it here. So you're a, a yoga person. Imagine coming to study abroad in Barcelona and we find you a, a yoga class where you're in there with all locals. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and that, that is even more motivating because you're doing something that you really love mm -hmm. and you're doing it with local people and hopefully practicing the language as well. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and yoga is just one example of anything you could find right. and everything you can find in Barcelona. Mm -hmm. And so we, from before the students even get here, we are talking to them about how to get integrated. So we, we do... Uh, we've made up the Barcelona essay bucket list. And these are a hundred experiences that we want students to do to discover, to explore while they're here. And it's not just like, go see the Sagrada Familia and check it off your list. Mm -hmm. It's like, uh, talk to a local about Catalan identity mm -hmm. or um, find somebody named Jordi because Jordi is the, the most popular name in, in Catalonia. And, and trying to give them activities that will spark some kind of connection or conversation with local mm -hmm. people and it's broken up also by by barrios by the different neighborhoods and so one of the barriers i think for students to go out and do more things is they just don't know what to do mm -hmm. so if you've got this curated tailor-made guide that we said go to the san antonio neighborhood and when you're there try to find these things when you're there mm -hmm. and then same for gracia and same for pueblo sec and all the different neighborhoods of barcelona mm -hmm. every single week we send out the weekly cultural agenda that, that we put together. It's, it's not a link to timeout. It's like, this is what Barcelona SA thinks that you could or might like doing this week for free, for cheap, for festivals going on in Barcelona. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's when we're not with the students. And when we're with them, we're taking them to these different neighborhoods. Because I also think students are human nature. You're kind of afraid to go to a new neighborhood if you, mm -hmm. if you haven't been there before. But once you step foot in it, you're like, ah, this is cool. I can do it. I can go back. It's, yeah. it's a, a microcosm of, of what study abroad does mm -hmm. for people. It makes them feel comfortable and then they can go and do a little bit more and a little bit more mm -hmm. and push out that comfort zone. So we're trying to break down all of those barriers to why a student wouldn't get to go meet locals mm -hmm. or wouldn't go see a new part of the city or wouldn't push themselves out of the comfort zone. We, we try to be that support network while they're there through those things I said, through our, our cultural mentor program. So each staff member has a small group of 10 to 12 students and, and each staff is a mentor, a cultural mentor to them. So we meet them, talk about their goals, take them out for coffees mm -hmm. um, and, and try to get them to, you know, maybe tell us about some of their fears and how we can help them through it. Mm -hmm. I love but yeah, that. It's, it's a real, yeah, it's a real, it's a real concern on people's minds, but honestly, it's not a concern on our mind because I think mm -hmm. because we just do Barcelona and this is uh, what we've been doing for the whole time. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a huge goal of ours. Well, I love that. That's the first time I've really ever heard an on-site person talk about those, those elements. So for instance, the, 
the idea of a student being into yoga, let's find you a yoga community like here in, in Barcelona. Mm-hmm. I really love that in the study abroad journal, which I know I've, I've shown you before. That was mm-hmm. one of the core things that we actually integrated into that because that same idea is that, you know, especially when a student's preparing to study abroad, it's all about like, which classes are you going to take? So there's that academic component. Maybe they'll do an internship. So there's the career component, obviously, you know, it's culture because it's a new place. So there's like that cultural, you know, focus, but then we, we added something called, we call the why card goal. And, and it, we talk about in, in the journal, like, so let's say you're into punk music and you're studying abroad in Tokyo. So how do you go, you know, yeah. find the punk music scene in Tokyo or Barcelona or wherever you might be going and really giving students that permission to pursue their curiosities that might be outside of, you know, academia or the, the career path that they're exploring. I really love that because I think you're right. It gives them that sense of ownership and excitement around exploring something new location wise or topic wise that isn't always have to be like, Oh, are you going to get credit for it? Or is this aligned with my career path? Yeah. I love that. I love that. Absolutely. I think that motivation is is just so much more intrinsic when you have Mm -hmm. that. We've had students that have their guitar players and they've joined a band here. Yeah. What an amazing experience to join a band with, with local students, international students. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a student who was an entrepreneur student and wanted to start his own barbershop. So he went around in one of his classes, actually, it was part of the class, but he had to go and interview different barbershops, went back to Riverside, started his own barbershop. And now he's, he's starting another one now and he's starting a chain of it. I love and that. Just, yeah. It harks back to, to Barcelona. And it's, I mean, you could be in a city where you're the only American and not have any integration mm-hmm. because it's up to you. Do you know mm-hmm. what to do? Do you feel comfortable doing it? Do you have the support you need? So, yeah. so yeah, there's a lot of Americans around here, but you know, especially compared to the 1.6 million people that are here, and Barcelona is just a city that draws people in. There's so so much you can do. Yeah. So you know, students are never bored. Students always have someone that they can go talk to. Uh, and nowadays, you know, we've got students that are on Tinder, and they're meeting locals that way, right? Yeah. It's like. And, and they're doing it back home and they do it here or, uh, you know, students, I think are in some ways, they're more willing to go and do that and get out of their comfort zone. In other ways, unfortunately, they've got Netflix. They could just sit at home and watch Netflix if they wanted to. Right. And not everybody's ready. Not everybody's ready at the same time. You could say, yeah, okay. Netflix is a problem, but honestly, like even when I studied abroad, I remember in 2001, as a freshman in college studying abroad in Geneva, Switzerland. I'm a very shy person and, you know, I need people to kind of push me to interact. And Mm -hmm. it was really hard the first couple of months for me to get that courage to find, you know, the things that could get me out of my room, so to speak. And I remember finding like a bookstore that still had like a little English section and like bought like four books. And so I would like go to my little room after class and read my books, you know, and not really integrate because I was, I had a lot of those fears. I had a lot of those hangups around just going for it and making the fool of myself speaking my broken French. So I feel like it's not necessarily a technology thing that can keep a student from engaging. They can find a lot of excuses. I know I did at first um, around that. So I, but I, I love all of these ideas. I love the idea of the bucket list. I feel like every program and every location around the world should probably have something like that. That's not just like, Mm. here's time out, go check out what they say to do. Obviously I'll link to BSAE. You can learn about all their programs. I have another question about that. Actually, let's just do that one now. A lot of times when I talk to people who especially design their own programs, whether they're in-house in a university or a provider, um, there's always like the programs that 
are huge and everybody loves them and they don't have any problem getting students on it. But everybody also has their baby, their program. They were like, I wish more students would do this program. I call it the sleeper program. That is like super amazing, but not a lot of students do it. And you wish more people knew about it might be like under-enrolled in your opinion. Do you have mm -hmm. a program like that with BSAE that you're just like more students need to do this program? Yeah, I would say we have a program. Um, that is a travel program. We're always going to be in Barcelona and use Barcelona as a base, but we've got a program called the Peoples of Spain. So it's a diversity focused program and it's based in Barcelona, but then we go travel around Spain to look at the different identities throughout Spain and reflect on identity in general for the mm -hmm. students from back home and um, cultures and microcultures. Well, I think it's under-enrolled because we just started it during the pandemic. So no one's really oh been able to do it yet. Uh, but I, I hope that students would like it because it's given them an opportunity to see other parts of Spain with us as well and with a faculty member going around. Mm -hmm. And and it's something that I think everyone can relate to because we're all trying to figure out our identities, I think, especially when you're in college and, mm -hmm. and how your identity shifts when you're in different cultural contexts. Mm -hmm. And so we'll, students will be able to see that not just in Barcelona, but in the different regions and then look at Catalan identity versus Spanish identity and um, and how Catalans, how Catalan people see that, but also how the rest of Spain sees mm -hmm. Catalonia and this, this fight for it. So I, I think um, that that's one that we haven't been able to get off the ground yet, but mm -hmm. I think that uh, we really hope students will do it. We're, we're doing a lot more focus on DEI since the last time that we talked, which was a mm -hmm. long time ago. We have an initiative that we started a few years back called Todos. So Todos in Spanish meaning everyone. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's a di the diversity outreach program. So it's the outcomes-based diversity outreach strategy, if you mm -hmm. want the whole thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's got several pillars to it. One is to provide more financial resources to underrepresented students to, to help people get abroad that couldn't, couldn't have that experience, which, you know, a lot of people are doing. So that's great. Uh, outreach to MSIs, so minority serving institutions, HBCUs, a lot of people are doing that too. But I think a couple of things that we're doing that's, that are unique is intercultural training. We're doing intercultural and DEI training for our students, our staff, our faculty, and, and homestays, for example. Mm. We'll do diversity training for, for you know, Spanish woman who's 65 years old and never heard the term PC and certain sayings and things in Spain that are, you're like, whoa, you, you cannot say that. But they're like, you know, <laughs> typical people would say it in Spain. And, and yeah. say, well, from an American perspective, you can't say that. And let's, yeah. let's tell you why. Now, mm. We don't want to tell people what to say, what not to say, but Let's understand the cultural context that people are mm -hmm. coming from. And then increased um, cultural and academic program that's more focused on diversity. So mm. we'll go and do a tour of the Raval neighborhood, which is the most diverse neighborhood in Barcelona, where more than 50% of the people that live there are not born in Barcelona or not mm. from Barcelona. Um, so we'll do a tour just focused on the diversity there. And then adding more classes like this People's of Spain class or gender studies classes mm -hmm. that might be attractive to people who are looking to study something more surrounding uh, diversity, mm -hmm. equity, inclusion. Mm -hmm. I love this idea of the, the Peoples of Spain program or, or any of these courses and initiatives. What I, I like about it, especially for maybe an American student who might have a, a pretty limited worldview in terms of their perspective on identities and multiplicity of, of identities. And if you frame it like, okay, we're going to go look at Spain where they have all these different identities. They already anticipate like, oh, 
that's Spain. And so of course I'm just going to study it and look at it as this like other, but what you're doing is I feel like you're sliding in and be like, okay. And then how does that relate back to the United States? Cause I feel like sometimes in the United States, we can think oh, it's like a monolith or very aligned or, or the, where you live is very closed off from the rest of the world yeah. in, in a lot of ways. And so I like that you're kind of like slipping it in there and be like, oh, actually this is also true for the U S let's talk about how, how yeah. this might have some parallels to what's going on in the U S I think that's yeah. really smart. I, I think it's a topic that's come up a lot recently with, with me and uh, I'm doing some presentations at the wise conference or at the forum conference. Um, some of them around diversity and this topic of, all right, so we're, we're, we're training students to become interculturally competent overseas, meaning being able to see things from someone else's perspective, being able to have empathy and walk in someone else's shoes, not judging right away, but looking you know, below the iceberg to see really the values and beliefs. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, all right, so this student can go from America to Spain and see it from a Spanish perspective, but what happens when they get back home and they see somebody sitting next to them that's different from them, comes from a different culture? They should be able to do that same thing, but are we bringing it back to mm-hmm. that? And I think that extra step is so important and is what really is, you know, we talk about changing the world. I think that is going to be a big step is going mm-hmm. back home and seeing things from the perspective of your neighbor mm-hmm. and immigration and, um, and, and I, we're trying to push that next step as well. I love that. Andrew Gordon and I have been talking for years about creating a program, an exchange program, a domestic exchange program between like my hometown in rural Kansas and yeah. Oakland, California. Cause we talk all the yeah. time about like, yeah, getting people abroad is great, but get two very different populations in the United States. Those are two of them. And it I would, would be uh, incredible to, to do. I, we talked about, we've been talking about it for years. We've never done it. Yeah. So maybe if I keep saying it out loud, we'll be forced to like someday yeah. like, take action on it. But I, yeah, I completely agree. I, I feel like we can't talk about study abroad and what's going on today without bringing up the pandemic. And if you would be willing to share a little bit about how the pandemic impacted you and your organization. Uh, What was it like in those early days? How were you making decisions? And just generally speaking, like how has BSA weathered that storm? Yeah, it wasn't easy. I would say it hasn't all been bad, but it wasn't easy, especially at the beginning, those first Mm -hmm. days. So back in March, 2020, it was a whirlwind, right? We had Mm -hmm. over 200 students on site at the time and had to get them all home very quickly, but also had to decide, should they be going home? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, is it good to send all these students from here on a plane back to the US? Nobody really knew what was going on at the time so much. Uh, And how are the universities going to handle it and all that? So it was, Mm -hmm. that part wasn't easy. Once we decided, yeah, we, we need to send everybody home. This, this just won't carry on, which, which was hard in itself, just logistically. Then you have to think about your partner institutions, right? And the, the, how we could help them, the financial part of it, the logistical part of it. And then I obviously had to think about my team and, and the company itself. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I naively thought, okay, so this is March, 2020. We probably won't have any students at May term, probably not June term, but probably by July, <laughs> by July term, we'll have some students back again, right? Of 2020. And then started to see it's, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And, and if it doesn't happen, we need to do something quickly. So unfortunately, we had to let a lot of people go right away in those early days. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was really hard. Some people have been with us for years. Other people had started two days before I just started <sighs> and uh, helping us get ready for the summer. And we're like, yeah, sorry, um, we're going to have to say goodbye. 
for now. Mm-hmm. And everybody understood, I would say, and we tried to do it in the best way possible and send people off. I mean, this is, these are team members that we obviously loved and worked closely with. Mm-hmm. But to think about the survival of the company was more important because if not, we would never have students again. We would never be able to hire anyone else again. Mm-hmm. And so those first days were, were really rough, yeah, really stressful. There's, like I said, there's some good that came out of it. We kept a core team. So we kept about a third of the team. So it was about 10, 10 people or so at the time. And we really bonded because it was like, all right, we need to stick together. We need to do this. Like, what the hell are we going to do? I don't know, but we're going to do, we're going to figure mm-hmm. it out. And so one of our core values of Barcelona is, is called Fempina, which is Catalan term for we make pineapple. Okay, I like it. (laughs) Which is why I've got a pineapple on my wall. So, Brooke, you may have seen in Catalonia these human towers, the Castellers, that climb on top of each other, right? They they just brought them back, I think, right? Like a couple weeks ago? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, it's not very COVID-friendly because you got yeah. (laughs) So the pineapple are all the people in the base that are bound together like this, really tightly together. And that's the team at the bottom that forms the base so that the others can climb up really high. So it's, it's a perfect metaphor for teamwork mm-hmm. at the base, the piña, so we make pineapple, mm-hmm. uh, to, to, to reach greater heights. Okay. And, and so we had this really core piña of people both in Barcelona and in the U.S. and just had to think, all right, what are we going to do? Like, how, how can we still help our university partners? How can we get through this? And, of course, people took pay cuts and worked fewer hours. We started doing virtual, as everyone did. Uh, mm-hmm. virtual internships. We did one thing that was really cool, which is a, a virtual global leadership summit for a school for underrepresented students. And I think that's one of the good things that come out of this is that people started doing virtual, which is much more affordable mm-hmm. for students that might not be able to pay for a flight or pay for housing when they're here and food, whether they're here or can't leave the jobs. And so it's still giving them some taste of the experience, although it's not the same, but it's still something. Mm-hmm. And this global leadership summit won some awards nationally and got some recognition uh, to, to help students that otherwise wouldn't have had the mm-hmm. opportunity. Mm-hmm. So I'd say that's good. Also, like if, I think if I ever became a business consultant, I would do the COVID test to a, to a company and say like, all right, let's pretend everything shuts down. Yeah, You can't do anything for months. What, pretend you can start from zero. What do you do differently? Yeah, And that's what we did. And we really had the time to look at things like, why are we, why are we doing that? right? Like, I think we're doing it because of inertia. We've been doing it for years. But does any, does any student really want a certificate of completion? Right? Like our interns were getting handwritten, uh, well, nicely printed out, but I was signing these certificates of completion. And, and by then we found like, you know, we give them to them at a farewell dinner, and they would all be on the table when students got up to leave. Who wants it? Maybe 20 years ago, they wanted it. Yeah. Now they want a LinkedIn badge or a LinkedIn mm-hmm. recommendation or something. And the amount of time that we spent like signing, printing these out, making sure they're all right, signing them. Yeah. It's like, let's focus, let's focus on the things that really give value to the students. Um, I read a great book called the 80-20 manager mm. that fo- it's like the, t- the t- it's called the Pareto principle. Yeah. So 20% of your effort yields 80% of the results. And mm. it's so true in, mm. in so many things. Yeah. And so we're like, what is the 20% of what we do that really gives value to the students? Yeah. And we found that it's when we can be with them, when we're doing a hike, when we're doing what I try to call slow study abroad, not just boom, boom, boom. Let's see this. Let's see that. But it's like, let's go for a meal. Let's go for a walk around the city. Let's go for a hike. 
um, and talk to the students. And then we can get that reflection from them and do the mentoring and get to know them. And those are the kind of things I think that, that really stick with them, either us or, or obviously we, we bring local students in. And so, you know, how could we fit more of that in and get rid of some of the things that, that aren't that useful? Same with mm-hmm. programming. So some of those sleeper programs, sometimes they're asleep for a reason. Mm-hmm. Let's put them to sleep. Let's, yeah. <laughs> put them, let's, <laughs> let's kill them. And yeah. so we got, we got rid of some of those programs that only had, you know, three or four students on it, but we're taking up 80% of our energy. Mm-hmm. And then let's focus on the programs like our, our school for international studies, our own academic study center, where we control the classes. We see them all the time. We can make sure that each class has three field studies that really uses the city. We can train our faculty. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't do that for outside universities. Mm-hmm. And that's what we've done. So we've shifted our focus to. Yeah. Well, and I think that's those. really smart because I, I think one of the. Um, the elements of the pandemic, I think it showed the analogy that like, we're all swimming at the beach and we've all got waves coming up to our, you know, our, our neck shoulder area. And then the tide rolled out with the pandemic and we realized, Uh Oh, there's a bunch of people swimming naked. They were not prepared (laughs) for, for the change and the the shifting um, of the world around them. And what I think it's shown for international ed, and I think this is a positive development is that I think we had to get more clear and more precise, like you were saying about what is our value proposition as international educators? Are we just Mm -hmm. finding housing, making sure they're registered for classes, handling any kind of emergency thing that comes up? And like, that's, that's what we do. And my argument would be like, no, I feel like there's more value in our ability to engage in the non-scalable activities of, of, of the experience, right? Like you mentioned going on that, the slow study abroad, right? Mm -hmm. Because for all intents and purposes, a student could be like, I want to go study in Barcelona. They can find a, they can find an Airbnb for three months, which I've done can do all the things because they have so much technology and systems around them that make that seamless experience. But those, those small unscalable elements that we bring to the table as educators, hopefully, and that's our expertise that we actually uh, bring. Those are the things that make us valuable as, as a field as a, as an industry. So I agree with you. 100% is like doubling down on the stuff that they can't go book that mm. online in some booking engine. They, right. they need a professional on the ground to help facilitate those things. And it's counterintuitive in some ways. And I like to think of it as, you know, Trader Joe's, are you a Trader oh, yeah, Joe's of course. fan? Of course. <laughs> so Trader Joe's has evangelist fans that go there mm-hmm. and they've always done everything in a different way than other uh, grocery stores have. They, mm-hmm. Right, they have fewer options, and we know mm-hmm. Americans love their options in grocery stores. Mm-hmm. They have three times as many staff. They mm-hmm. pay their staff best of the you know best of the mm-hmm. market. So it goes against every you know other grocery store and what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Yet they're so successful because they are providing that that sort of mentor one to one. You go in and say, oh, what, you know, what salad dressing? Mm-hmm. You're like, oh yeah, let me tell you, let me, and they really listen to you and they know what you mm-hmm. want and they help you out. And I. I it's like you said, scalability, which is a very business term. Right. And I've, I came from a education background. I studied Spanish and Russian and my master's is Spanish applied linguistics. So mm-hmm. I didn't, I said a little bit of business, but, but not much. So I didn't come at it from, well, how can we scale this? Or if we put more students in a group, we'll make more money and mm-hmm. this and that it's, it's more about what would I like in study abroad? I would want somebody to show me around. I would want somebody to help me. If, if I like basketball, how do I, how can I play basketball here? Mm-hmm. meet you know even if meeting the staff is part of it if they're locals or somebody like me who's been here forever to 
that is really passionate about international education and helping them through it. So it might be counterintuitive, but I think, you know, it's, it's worked for us and we've, mm-hmm. we've grown over the years and gotten more partners and had thousands of alumni, mm-hmm. hopefully happy alumni out there. Yeah. <laughs> Go leave a review. Yeah. So I think that just kind of gets back to the core of there is, I think, constantly a battle. Think about the, the whole initiative generation study abroad, right? It's like a million students mm-hmm. abroad, which is mm-hmm. purely based on numbers. And at some point, mm-hmm. It is just like, get them in, get them out the door, get them, get them over the ocean, wherever they're going. And then hopefully the rest takes care of itself in a lot of ways, which is, is challenging because, you know, I've, I've always referred to BSAE. I know it's much bigger nowadays, but as a boutique study abroad company, but I almost feel like more. Uh, providers should be approaching it as if it is a, even if they're huge, you know, even if they're five times Mm -hmm. the size of BSAE, they should Mm -hmm. be approaching it in a boutique perspective or mindset because you're right. Like you, you can't get, you can't be as focused on the experience and delivering a really quality experience for students. If it is feeling more like hurting you know, cows yeah. around a city yeah. uh, together. I, I give a shout out to DIS, you know, the, the program mm, in yeah. Co- started in Copenhagen who are a fantastic program and I really admire them and they're, they're huge, right? Mm-hmm. I think the last I heard they had 1200 students in a semester mm-hmm. in Copenhagen, but their motto, and again, I'm, I'm no spokesperson for them, but at one point the motto was um, small within big or something similar yeah, to that. Yeah. And, and I went and visited them. They opened the doors to me and they're, fantastic and they really do it so even though they have that many students nobody knows they have that many students because they're in this little group or that that group yeah they have excellent teaching their classes that go into a core class and 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 so they've been able to maintain that boutique if you will yeah ideal it's really an inspiration so oh, I, we're I love not gonna that. get that big we don't we don't want to get to 1200 students but even as we grow we want we never want students to know how many students we have it's like you're in you're in this group and you're in this mentor group and mm-hmm. you're not gonna feel like you're part of a herd mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm. Why don't you want to get to 1200 students? <laughs> you're getting deep here. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this is probably going off the, off the topic of uh, the podcast potentially, but yeah. do you know the, um, the story of the Greek fishermen? No. Teach right, us. I'm going I'm to summarize it quickly okay. and you can edit this out if you want, but <laughs> no, it's um, so important CEO from Harvard Business School goes over to a Greek island for her. It's usually told as a him, but I'm going to use a her okay. for her, um, you know, 10 day vacation, the 10 days she gets a year. And she's walking along the beach and it's 10 o'clock in the morning. This fisherman comes out with like three fish and the CEO starts talking to the fisherman and says, oh, what, what, do you, what do you, you know, tell me about this. And fisherman says, yeah, I just went and caught fish for my family. I'm going to go home, I'll cook it up for lunch with my family and my kids, probably take a little nap. And then this afternoon, just hang out with my friends. And, and the Harvard CEO goes, well, listen, I mean, I, I, I'm an MBA from, from Harvard. I can, can help you grow this. So what you could do is, you know, stay out there longer. It's only 10 o'clock. Stay out there to the end of the day. Start getting more fish. Start selling them. Make a little bit of money. Start building that money up. And then you can buy another boat, hire some people, go out a bit longer, start to make more money. You can buy a bigger boat. You can set up a stand and make some money there. And then once you buy three or four boats, you got this staff going out for you. And you can make sure it's all working. While you're doing that, you go to Athens and start up a restaurant, a fish restaurant, focus on this. And you got all this fish coming in. You start the wholesale. You could be, your money could be coming in, coming in, coming in. And then you set up a chain of restaurants and and then you are, you know, you're going to be a wealthy man. Yeah. And the fisherman says, oh, interesting. Well, how long would that take? And they said, well, 
I don't know, 20, 20 years, you could probably have it done. And the fisherman said, yeah, okay. And then what? Oh, and then you retire. You can finish work at 10 o'clock, have lunch with your family, <laughs> take a little nap and go spend time with your friends. Yes. Obviously the story is like, do you just appreciate kind of what you have now, a good life, doing what you enjoy, spending some time with your family, or do you kill yourself and work all these hours when I wouldn't, I've got two kids that are eight and six. Yeah. Do I kill myself now and get to the point where I don't see them? but the company grows. So that's like, you know, that's the, yeah, no, I, I think, decision, I think that's right? really smart. And I, you know, I think, uh, so, so many follow-up questions that I don't even know where to begin <laughs> because I, I think you're absolutely right. For instance, you know, I still have aspirations to build a million dollar company for no apparent reason. Like, I don't know why, like why it's just an yeah. arbitrary number. It makes yeah. no sense, but right. you know, I remember when I was, I was traveling, being a digital nomad, running my businesses, living all over the world, basically working 15 hours a week, making decent money, mm -hmm. exploring these cities I was living in. And I remember thinking even in those times, like what life am I trying to achieve by hitting the next milestone, yeah. half a million, and for dollars, who? whatever. Yeah, exactly. And, and not to say that like there, I think there is something about, especially for women in entrepreneurship, there are so many barriers Then it is nice to sort of start breaking those molds of where they get investor funding. There's a whole other issue there, but for me mm -hmm. personally, as what life am I trying to get myself to? This is a pretty freaking great life, right? And so yeah. why am I still yeah. striving? So that makes so much sense. Even if you're not an entrepreneur, I think even in your career, you can relate to like, why am I trying to go for the next big thing, the next big title? If I'm really happy in the work I'm doing with the type of institutional organization I'm with, I think there is like a balance between between striving to challenge yourself and achieve new things, but also sort of living in the like, but I have a, I have a really great life here as well. And just sort of appreciating yeah. that. The question I want to ask you then is back in the day, I probably around the time we did our first interview, I remember because I was part of global educators, which is why we met. And back then there was talk about doing LSAE, London study abroad experience. I think Prague study abroad experience was maybe even on the mm -hmm. table at one point, which were all going to be the rich Kurtzman empire, if I'm recalling this correctly. And so was there a point when this parable came into your world and you started thinking about it in this way, or was it just like, you know, I don't, I don't want to grow the SAE empire. Yeah. People ask me all the time, you know, they, they like the model we have in Barcelona. So are we going to start up in other cities yeah. in Spain or in cities in Europe? And, and I've gone back and forth with it. First, I still think there is room, and especially back then, there was room to grow in Barcelona. Mm -hmm. And, and so we want to just make sure that we're doing this right. First of all, that's yeah. another reason why I might hesitate to, to try to get to 1200 is could we still do what we're doing now with 1200 students? Mm -hmm. I guess, I mean, DIS does it yeah. as far as I'm aware. So it, it can be done, but I don't know. It, it is. Yeah. It is part of that. And, and I think if I was still living in the U S so I, I think you said, but I live in Barcelona, I lived in Barcelona for 19 years and now I just moved out just outside of Barcelona. This might be part of it. I'm living in a beach town, so I'm, <laughs> you know, 15 minute walk to the beach and yeah. life is a little bit slowed down here. I think if I was still living in the U.S. and surrounded in those entrepreneurial cultural waters of like, yes, you, you have to go more, you have to keep going and you have to get bigger, that maybe I would be pushed in a different direction. And, and I, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm entrepreneurial and I like growth because I like, I like growth not for growth's sake, but see like schools are coming to us because they like what we do and it's hard to say no and I don't want yeah. to say no to that. So I would like organic growth versus let's just push to grow and grow and grow. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot about the team and making sure that the team is, team, you know, the staff working here is trying not to grow 
in a crazy growth spurt. It's hard because right we've we've had this pandemic where we've had small numbers. I mean, we had a group in spring of 2021 this past year when almost nobody had it. We had like 12 students and it was awesome to just have 12. And then we had about 30 in the summer. Yeah. And then we have about 30 right now. But now there's an explosive growth for spring because we have this the end of the pandemic, which is yeah. such the wrong term to maybe. use. Um, yeah, the light at the end of the tunnel yeah. or in the middle of the tunnel, maybe because I don't think it's the end of the tunnel. And so it's been stressful to, to come back and, and get ready for that. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the great things, and going back full circle to one of your questions is we've hired back some of those people that we had to let go mm-hmm. back in spring of 2020. Great. So they've found other jobs in the meantime, and they're like dying to come back. We're dying to have them back. And so that's mm-hmm. been really, really nice to form that team again. And we found some other amazing people that are out there and, and looking forward to the next, like that next step of solidifying the team, growing organically and, and still doing what we're doing with, you know, with the, the same mentality. When I had the first group of eight students and I knew them all and I knew their names, that we can still do that with the mentor groups and Mm-hmm. Uh, I won't know them all, but somebody on on the team will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like this relates still to your Greek <laughs> fisherman story, but you know, I, I am curious. Since we've met, you've become a father, like you mentioned. You have a six and eight year old. Um, you said, and I'm just curious, like how has becoming a father like changed, shifted, affected your approach to study abroad or thoughts about study abroad? Maybe I'll start if you don't mind switching that question around. Yeah, and please. Think, how has study abroad affected fatherhood? Oh, interesting. And, and so, okay, yeah. Yeah, so like I said before, about we're trying to get students to open their minds and see things from a different perspective. Um, that's what I want my kids to grow up doing as well. And so my son is eight. He's already been to 10 countries with mm-hmm. us traveling. Now I know he won't remember them all, but trying to get him to be surrounded by different cultures, different ways of doing things, breaking them out of, of a routine. He, and, and my daughter as well now is six. I think it's really good for them. And like all the sort of focus on diversity and equity inclusion with study abroad has really reinforced us doing that with our kids as well. Mm. And made me really see. So I don't know if you know, um, Christina Thompson who works with me and she's becoming a big name in, in DEI and she's our uh, director of diversity initiatives. And and she really like challenges me and challenges all of us to see things from a different perspective. And I've absolutely taken that and worked with my kids on it as well. And I think that's been, that's been really neat to see. And I, cause I, I just so believe in the values that we're teaching students in study abroad that of course I would want my kids to have it too. And, and so to go back to your original question, how has that changed it? Um, I think I could see things from a parent's perspective a little bit mm. better now. So yeah. I can think a little bit more of, well, what would I want for my son or daughter if they were studying abroad? When a parent comes in with a, sometimes like, it's like, oh, another parent called. I can understand it a little bit more now yeah. because I'm a parent too. Uh, so I think it's it's affected it in that way and, and helped me approach it in a little bit different perspective. Yeah. So you feel like you you can empathize with the parents a little bit more when they're upset about yeah. housing or what have you, safety issues. And you're like, yeah. oh, okay, maybe maybe nine years ago, I would have rolled my eyes a little, but now I'm like, yeah, dude, I'm freaked out too. 
yeah, so. yeah, I get it. I get it. Yeah, yeah. The role well, sometimes, but obviously we could probably talk for hours, and we probably will again soon, someday, over a bourbon when in person, not not with a microphone in our faces. Um, let's so. get into the lightning round. Just some tools, resources that you feel like people in our industry or just professionals in general in any field could get a lot out of. So don't they don't have to be specifically international education related. So what is a book you think everyone should read in, in our field or just as a professional? I read a book recently. It's, it's probably a few years old now, but uh, actually I actually have it right here. It's called The Power of Moments. Do you know this one? No. So I'm really into uh, kind of social science and behavioral economics and things uh-huh. like that. But this book, uh, so it's The Power of Moments, Why Certain Experiences Have Extraordinary Impact. Mm. And, and I read it. I'm like, this is study abroad. Okay. And it talks about what, what certain elements of a of life or of a program of education or whatever, elevated to this extraordinary moment. And, and they've broken it down to a, a bit of a science of what it takes to do that. Yeah. And I think, especially in study abroad, you, you're reading like, yes, this is, this is what happens. Something is unexpected. Something mm-hmm. is elevated. It's a moment that wouldn't normally happen. It's an, an extreme sort of high, how to take those peaks and how to, how to create them or how to harness them once they are there and even take some mm-hmm. valleys and say, oh, how could this be turned into a, a powerful moment? Mm-hmm. So for that, but also for, for parenting, for education, for business, they talk about how to make the first day of an employee an incredible moment that they won't mm-hmm. forget. Mm-hmm. And the science behind how important that first impression is and the last yes. impression. And then yeah. some peak in the middle. And that's really important. Yeah. So easy read. Love that. Um, great. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to right? add that to my Amazon shopping cart, my Christmas list, if you will. That's yeah. a good one. Power of moments. Thank you for that. Okay. So obviously you lived in Barcelona for 19 years, uh, as you said, give us a little secret, little known Rich Kurtzman secret restaurant spot that we all need to go try next time we're in Barcelona. If I give it to you, it won't be so secret anymore. I know. I mean, all uh, my millions of listeners are just going to flood this place. It's, it's like right. They're gonna flood an Anthony it. Bourdain recommendation at this point. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, for those of you out there listening. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So in my old neighborhood called San Antonio, I would recommend a, a little bar called Bar Ramon. Uh, and it's this tiny bar that probably seats 20 people maximum. And they do amazing tapas there. Not okay. just your traditional tapas, but amazing tapas that are sitting out looking. And the wait staff are so helpful and friendly, and but sort of in a Spanish way, not like yeah. an American. Yeah. Hi, my name is Isabel. How are you yeah. doing today? Yeah. And it's got these jazz posters all around. It's playing jazz. It's, it's just a cool little spot. Bar okay. Ramon. If we yeah. tell them that Rich Kurtzman sent us, will they know who that is? Possibly. Possibly. <laughs> I walked in there once. I walked, it was funny because I, I, I take some visitors where they come in and I walked in there once and she's like, hey, oh, you're back. And I'd been there like one time. I just thought, oh, this is great. These people think I'm some kind of celebrity here. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Things just recognize me from the neighborhood, but yeah. Um, yeah. they I don't know that they know my name. And, yeah. and in Spain, it's hard because it's Rich Kurtzman and oh, nobody right. can really pronounce right, it. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for that. What's a, a favorite software or technology that you use or your team uses at BSAE that you just couldn't live without? Well, it's probably not new to many people anymore, but we started using Slack maybe a year and a half ago. Again, during yeah. the pandemic, we had time to try some new things out and and it's really, really improved communication. I love email is like the bane of my existence. Oh and my God. Getting to the Work. bottom of your inbox and impossible. Uh-huh. And so with Slack, it's been really helpful 
to, uh. to communicate and reduce emails. And especially in a pandemic, you're not sitting next to somebody in the office. So you can mm -hmm. send off a quick message. You can save it for later. You can put do not disturb. So you have yes. those blocks of time that are really important. Yeah. Yeah. I love, love, love Slack. And it made me like realize how stupid most of us use email as like yeah. a, we use it and especially in a university campuses is like often uses his own instant messenger like i'm just going to send you like are you free yeah. in an email and i'm like oh my right. god and that is not an immediate answer <laughs> yeah. yeah oh it's the worst so oh, love that you're using slack okay once you know you are feeling good and safe to travel whether it's with your alone or with your family or with just with your wife what's next on your travel bucket list it could be a destination or just an experience you want to have i'm dying to go to cuba I, I like salsa music and salsa dancer and merengue. And uh -huh. um, I just, I, I want to get, I know it's already starting to change, but I want to get to Cuba before it becomes too touristy and too many people have gone in there. So well, it lots of changes potentially sense. right now. I mean, they're marching in the streets over the last few weeks. Yeah. I don't know if you've been watching what's going on there. It's, it's a, it's an amazing place. I went back in 2019 cool. there for about a week and a half. And, um, oh, nice. I'm sure you would even get more out of it. Cause you actually can communicate in Spanish. Whereas I'm not and dance. Yeah. Well, in dance. Yeah. I mean, I could communicate with the dance baby. Oh yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> beyond that, I was like, yeah, I'm going to have to look that up. How do I say this? Oh yeah. But you'll, you would love it. It, it is a beautiful place. And I, I feel like, you know, when it comes to change in Cuba, a lot of like the nostalgia around and the, the parts of Cuba that I think we ex want to appreciate as non-Cubans, some of that is almost sad too, because it's like, it, they don't have the cool old cars because they're like, look, the cool old cars, they have those because there's no other option. They just can't get new things because of economic issues, or there just isn't product to be purchased. It is a, it's a very complicated, fascinating place. I mean, I want to go and spend way more time there. Um, yeah. I, it is, it is incredibly, incredibly fascinating. Cool. And I, I've only scratched the surface. So yes, yeah. you need to go and, and make it happen. And Take me with you so you can be the translator. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. And to be clear, obviously I don't want to be like, Oh, I hope they don't have a better life so that I can experience no, what course, it's like. Of but course, yeah. It's like, um, I don't want to go if it's going to be McDonald's and Starbucks and yeah, you know, I want to ex experience the local places. And, and yeah. I think, you know, it is, I think it's just one of those things that is just, it's a juxtaposition of any place we travel to, right? We want the quote unquote, authentic experience, whatever that is, yeah. it, you know, it's sort of like the argument that I, I think we've heard, hopefully the argument like died away, but you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, hearing people talking about students having a phone or having access to the internet during study abroad, as if like that would ruin their experience when like the students in the place they were studying had internet or had had phones or what have you, whatever the new technology was at the time, as right. if like it is inauthentic to have internet in Barcelona or something like that. And I'm like, no, right. they have internet in Barcelona. <laughs> I just think there's yeah. a, there's a constant pull between what is quote on authentic and what is just a modern society that has evolved with technology and everything that uh, comes with it um, anywhere in the world, right? You can go to places around Asia and it's the same kind of thing where it's like, oh, let's go see the authentic village. And I'm like, 
is it authentic or right. is it the, what we want it to be as the other, you know, coming in to look yeah. at it. So, you know, these yeah. are the, the issues we're constantly grappling with hopefully yeah, with our students. Course. So I guess my next question for you, but I feel like you kind of gave me a great idea. I need to get someone from DIS on the podcast, but if I were to get somebody else on the podcast in international ed, who would you recommend I interview next? Yeah. DIS, they're, they're great. They're fantastic. Yeah. They're, I would suggest, and she's not in international pop, international education, but she's done international education is Amanda Gorman, who was the poet laureate at Biden's inauguration, studied yeah, abroad in Madrid. Yeah, yeah. And she talks about that sometimes. And so that would be really interesting to see how her experience led her to where she mm-hmm. is, if it did, um, yeah. or affected. And I don't know if you can get her. She's a big star now. I know. She's a superstar. That'd yeah. be a huge get. I'd be like, oh, look at that. Yeah, yeah that'd yeah. be great. I- I've thought about getting more people on the podcast who aren't necessarily professionals in international ed, but who had a meaningful international experience uh, in, in study abroad of some kind. Yeah. And so I don't know, I feel like I need listeners to get back to me and let me know if you want to hear those stories. That'd be great. Okay. Rich, you are writing a book, which is so exciting. Why don't you tell us about it? It's a study, it's a book for students about study abroad. Tell us what is it called? What is it about? And when can we all buy one? So as you know, I've been in study abroad since I was a baby. No, I, I, I started, I studied abroad when I was a sophomore in college. And then since then, it's been basically my whole life. And I thought it was time to put it all in a book. So a book for students that are going to study abroad and are studying abroad. It's called Like a Fish in Water, How to Grow Abroad When You Go Abroad. Ooh, so it's got, it's full like of- I like the alliteration. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It's full of uh, activities that, that I hope students will do to help them get more integrated, to meet more locals, to help them reflect on the experience a little bit more so they don't just skim across the, the cultural surface, but they, they dive deep down under the cultural iceberg, as you know, uh, to, to really be able to observe the cultural differences, get more out of it, reflect on why people do the things that they do in other cultures, but then turn that around and say, well, why do I do the things that I do and learn more about themselves? I, I always say to my students that you learn as much about yourself when you go abroad as you do about the culture that you're in. Mm -hmm. And so the book walks the students through uh, all of these steps at different stages and focus on communication, focuses on food and culture, which is a a course that I used to teach, uh, focus on personal space issues. uh, And it's not uh, destination specific. So it's mostly written for American students that are going abroad anywhere else and, and can use these activities. And then at the end, it's about how to use all of those experiences to help them get a job. And it's not solely focused on getting a job, it's focused on how we just grow in general, how, how you can become more adaptable, more confident, um, more uh, empathetic, right? And all these core, um, the soft skills or the core competencies that, that companies are looking for, but also make for a, uh, a happier, healthier life. I'm pretty excited. Um, when could it come out? It's not done yet, so I'm still working on it, but it should be out in early 2022. So hopefully February or March. It would oh, be available. wow. That's so exciting. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay, great. I'm assuming Thank it'll you. be available on Amazon. Yeah. Is that okay? It'll be so Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, paperback, hardcover. Okay, great. Possibly um, Audible. Maybe, I don't know if you want to do voiceover. Oh my gosh. I don't know that you want my voice. <laughs> you got your, so, your podcast voice. I got oh, my podcast voice. Yes. I, <laughs> I did get it on my other podcast. Somebody left a review saying that Brooke has um, the most soothing podcast voice. And I was like, uh, 
I don't think my mom left that, <laughs> that review, but it sounds like something my mom might say, but it wasn't, it was someone I didn't even know. So maybe in certain moments I do, I have that voice, but I would love to do your audible book. Very proud okay. of you. Can't wait to read it and get my hands on it. We'll link to it. If it's available, when this comes out, linked in the show notes, if not, Rich will have it all over his stuff. So go yeah, check it out. Be coming soon. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. And I will link to Rich's LinkedIn account, obviously to Barcelona SAE, where you can go find them all over the internet, wherever you want to engage with them in and reach out to Rich and find out how you can get your students on one of these sleeper programs in, <laughs> in Spain that he's been putting on. So thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Brooke. It's been fun. Good catching up. I hope you enjoyed that updated conversation with my friend, Rich Kurtzman of Barcelona Study Abroad Experience. Of course, I'm going to link to Rich and BSAE and his website for his book and all the good stuff down in the description and the show notes over at InsideStudyAbroad.com slash blog. And of course, don't forget tonight is our one and only live free training all about how to land a job in global education in 2022. Be there or be square. Do I sound like an 80s kid? Because I am. I am an 80s kid. But be there. I would love to help you. Give you some coaching and advice on how you can launch and level up your career in the new year. And of course, you'll get to learn all about the Global Pro Institute and how you can join our next cohort. And remember that every day you postpone a dream, you weaken it a little. So get out there and make some magic happen. Cheers.